0: No studio for us today, dear listener. Rather, as you may be able to tell in a few minutes from the slightly different ambience of the sound, this month we're on the road. So this is Ian Jindal, Editor-in-Chief and Co-Founder of Internet Retailing. And this month I've been allowed to leave Etel Towers and head further afield. Now earlier in the month we hosted a retail craft dinner in Copenhagen. Uh, now, the Craft Network came from our research business, RetailX, which tracks, measures, and assesses the activities of the top 500 multi-channel retailers and direct selling brands across Europe. Now, while we measure objective performance and undertake our research tucked away in a dark basement, uh, we also recognise that business is created and sustained by the people behind the brands – in this our podcast series, we talk to those people, but in real life, we also run a dinner series across Europe where we invite digital professionals to meet off the record to get to know each other or reacquaint themselves in an informal and confidential setting. So our Copenhagen visit was the first in that wonderful city, and we were well looked after at the incredible edible restaurant bar. Sadly, I can't share photos of that because it was off the record. But before dinner, I took advantage of the electric zip scooters and the incredible cycle lane network and risked life and limb to zip around a town and meet with a couple of uh, great retailers. So this episode has a slightly unintended Danish jewellery feel to it since i visited both Georg Jensen and Pandora. So my first visit was to the headquarters of Georg Jensen, the Danish and, of course, now global silversmith to homeware iconic designer. I had an incredible tour of their silversmiths workshop, and I've posted those images online. I'll put a link in the programme notes. And I was shown around by the lovely Will Lockie, their global head of e-commerce. He's a Brit who's moved from bikes to bracelets, as it were. Uh, he used to be the head of e-commerce at Evans. And our interview starts after my tour and meeting the team over lunch, and we pick up in their team office. Hey Will, thank you so much for inviting me to your lovely home. You're so welcome. <laughs> <Okay>. But also <laughs> it's, it's odd being in a place that is so like a show home mm-hmm. meets a craft place. So why don't you tell everyone where we are? We are in the offices of Georg Jensen, uh,
1: a Danish design house established in 1904. So have been around for a very long time now. George Jensen, I'll pronounce it the UK way, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> always have trouble with that. Yeah, so it's a uh, history in silverware. We've been downstairs to the smithy, maybe we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Uh, a history in silverware, jewellery and the home categories mm. in the heart of Copenhagen
0: in Denmark. But when you say the heart of Copenhagen, I mean, this is just an immense building, which is you know, warehousing on the one hand, but beautifully finished on the yeah. other. And it used to be the old porcelain works, is that right? Correct.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, so Wall, Copenhagen are next door.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and this whole building used to be a huge factory. Yeah. So in the in the dingy basements, you'll find kilns where they used to fire wow. the pottery. Uh, next door, we've got um, the Wall, Copenhagen outlet. We'll go and have a look there later. Yeah. And yeah, it used to be an old factory where, and hence the big chimneys outside where the workers would pour in and help, yeah. <laughs> uh, the bell would ring. Uh, but now it's uh,
0: modern offices. So I think I've taken some photos, which I'll uh, obviously put online so people can see. But it's uh, if you imagine a suite in a six-star international hotel, that's what the offices look like with you know, display cases, beautifully laid out. Tables ready to receive royalty, the ambassador with a nice like, design to it. It's incredible. Yeah. But we also had a look around the silversmiths area. So on the ground floor, half mm. the space is dedicated to, to people who are actual crafters. This isn't like some in-store display where you can pretend it's being made. These are people with hundreds of hammers, malleting <laughs> bits of silver into the most incredible uh, creation. Um, yes, yeah, malleting bashing,
1: it all goes on here. I'm so, yeah, technical we, we, term for that. Yeah, we're we're going to find out the, the technical term for bashing. Yeah. them. But yeah, absolutely, it's not, um, it's not, it's not theatre, it's it's for real. We have yeah. a silversmith downstairs uh, where, as you say, the, there's guys that have trained for 10 years to make very special mm. kind of one-off pieces, literally out of a chunk of silver,
0: yeah. bashing it with a hammer, as they say. And we were looking at uh, those um, silver Marie Antoinette champagne mm. uh, Goblety glasses Mm. things. But the design for that uh, was from when? The 1960s, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, so so here in the building we have an archive of all of the old designs, um, the old drawings, all the original basically things that you could use to build pieces from. And when people want to commission something or when they want to come up with a new design to sell more commercially, Um, They go upstairs into the archives, dig around, find an old picture, and say, okay, we could use that for some inspiration, or or if we're doing collaborations with Mm -hmm. other um, artists, we go and put them in the archive upstairs and go and come up with something, you know, let them read the (laughs) old books and dig around and see all the old pieces. It's really interesting. So just from looking
0: around, there seems to be uh, a a sort of split, if you like, in the brand between the jewellery high craft, silver, gold, mm-hmm. precious mm-hmm. stones, and then Danish-looking design homeware, yeah, right. cutlery, some soft version, so on. So yeah, it yeah. seems odd to have these two sides because you have know, different price point, different sales approach. Yeah, you know, how do those yeah. fit together? So it's a challenge, actually. So if at the heart of the business were
1: kind of Danish or Scandinavian design, and the heart of the business were um, the origins in, in silverware, then that's sort of grown into you know silver jewelry, gold jewelry, silver homeware now becomes steel homeware to, for more commercial sales, and it's actually quite challenging selling two very different categories because actually they're almost two completely different businesses, right? So jewelry, fine jewelry, um, as we discussed, is you know some of it's made here, some of it's made in Thailand, like a lot of other big jewelry businesses.
0: But again, for the expertise rather than mm-hmm. for Low cost. Correct. Yeah, it's, yes. not about, um, you know, it's, it's
1: not about offshoring it's about cheap the skills they have in it's jewelry, Literally yeah. about um, yeah, the, the, the skills uh, and the resources basically being closer to where the gold and the, yeah. the the silver is, basically. So you've got that side of the business and obviously people dropping, you know, a few thousand euros on a ring don't do that very often every week, you know, mm. and it's less commoditized, right? Um, whereas you've got the home side of the business, which is you know, very beautifully designed homeware, tableware, glasses, colouring, all of that, which is more commercial. So there, we are almost competing in that space versus you know, kind of um, other high-end, uh, reta- you know, home retailers. It sells in John Lewis in the UK for a point of reference, and, yeah. and not not many, and heels
0: actually. Yes, um, but then in Denmark, if you're in the centre of Copenhagen, mm-hmm. that lovely street that's. Pedestrianised, mm. you've got Illums and hay, yeah, yeah. your store. So you've got this quadrant of mm. upper quartile Danish designs, sort of duking it out true, on the high streets. So it sort of feels very much at home uh, in Denmark. Yeah, I mean, and, and like I said to you downstairs, um, almost
1: every home in Denmark will have one of our coffee um, thermo jugs. You know, These things are very, very popular. And yeah, and back to the retail. I mean, also, when you, get, when you talk about retail, um, if you walk into one of our stores, you'll see jewellery. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I in retail, jewellery is fact retail, almost, you know, we sell most of the jewellery in retail, less expensive jewellery sold online, more home online than in, re- than in the stores. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a difficult challenge. And also, you know, j- just down to the logistic challenges of shipping that big candle, you know, six kilogram candelabra I showed you from Denmark to London costs me a lot of money. It yeah. doesn't cost me much money to send you a ring. Yeah. So, you know, economies of scale, margins, um, mm. it all you know, all comes into
0: play in a big mix. So I'm just struck that our listener would be thinking, that guy has got a really good English accent for a Dane. Uh, hmm. So we should probably come clear and say that... Uh, you know, you've you've been here, what, a year? Been here a year now, uh, yes. So recently, I think the last time we interviewed you, you were at Evans, wasn't Correct. it? Correct. Yes. So you did a lot there, uh, especially on the um, click and collect and the store yes. side. Yes. Yeah. So the phone rings and someone says, would you like to come and live uh, in Copenhagen? There are worse phone calls to get.
1: There are worse phone calls to get, and there's definitely worse, worse places to live. Absolutely. I mean, you do... Um, it's quite different, as, as as we discussed. You know, moving from moving from bikes in the UK, you know, to uh, jewelry and, and fine um, fine design in Copenhagen. Yeah, it's a big cultural shift, and you have all of those kind of cultural challenges and different ways of working that you just don't get in the UK. Mm-hmm. The plus side, as we have both just discovered, a beautiful lunch.
0: <laughs> eleven thirty every day. You That's sit down. Eleven with your thirty, team. I Come can't I can't on. believe it. You can't beat it. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming of course that everyone's at their desk at oh uh, six hundred, uh, beavering away of no, course. No sandwiches
1: at your desks in Denmark. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So in Denmark you have got a global role. Mm. So maybe just tell us a bit about you know what you're doing now so you're coming to run e globally mm-hmm. just give us a thumbnail yeah, sketch yeah, of what yeah. that involves it's, it's interesting i mean
1: you know you know every business is very very different but here we're structured so this is the global corporate hq so from here we we run e-commerce globally obviously we don't fulfill fulfillment in the us is 3pl all european fulfillment is from denmark uh, and all apac fulfillment is as we discussed from the stores but the you know, Salesforce Commerce Cloud, our baby, is managed here, and we have kind of the way we structured it is you'd have a market lead, and they you know feed us with their trading plans, and we adjust their site accordingly. Literally, I'd call that a sort of a small-scale e-commerce model
0: because it's not it's not fully out to the markets yet, mm. but
1: we're working on that.
0: And what's your okay. link with the stores? Mm. So we've already mentioned off mike, you know, the challenges sometimes of shipping heavy. Metal items mm. uh, around the world, especially you know if they're delicate and people don't want to have mm. their new or dinged or something. Yeah, yeah. So you know, what's the link with stores for click and collect, or with the country directors for localized maybe digital marketing campaigns and sale mm-hmm. campaigns? How how sort of local can you be, and how do you work with the stores? Um, so two well. questions in one. Yeah, Sorry about that. so. so um, <laughs>
1: So, you know, logistics, click and collect, all that stuff, all work in progress because, you know, there's, there's systems and like all retailers, we have had loads of fun with legacy systems, integrations and so on. So we're working on that stuff. So that stuff's coming. We managed to get iPads in the stores this year. Yeah, so there's a step forward, basically, to, to at least bring an endless aisle into the store because in the stores, they don't have big shelves to stock those big candles and we don't want stock sat on the shelves, mm. um, tying up cash. So sell it from the iPad, please. So that's so that's one small thing that we've done. And then in terms of the structures, yeah, there's a, a I mean, marketing campaigns, and, and it, it's almost run as like a fashion business, actually, because the, the product launch and the lifestyle call, that almost dictates the commercial calendar, the commercial calendar mm. dictates, you know, what's launching where and when, and what marketing campaigns you put your, put your euros or your kroners behind.
0: Yeah. yeah. and. I mean the store experience I've had has been exceptional. Oh, uh, one one year I was in a store with my wife and okay I was getting a bit bored. Uh, Vicky was trying on some rings and the store said it's not so like a glass of champagne. I thought oh, well okay but what she did was she slipped her card to me and said just so you know this is your wife's ring size and these are things she was looking at, so you lovely. can call me anytime. time. Yeah, I thought, look, I know that's a sales technique, but you've done it so nicely yeah. that uh, that was really good. And when I rang months and months later, she'd kept a record as well. Yeah, so yeah. even before the iPad, you, you had that sort of service culture, yeah. which you know, uh, I think is an important component these days.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, When you're dealing with um, such you know, high-end customers as yourself. Ian, um, you know, Mrs. J, you Yeah, mean, yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah that, that, that level of service is, is
0: mm. pr- almost a hygiene factor now yeah. in terms of... But I've also noticed that the rate of your product launches mm. seems to have accelerated. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I just imagining that, or do you, are you extending your ranges more um, rapidly? Actually, that... Mm,
1: yeah, there's more actually more of a focus on core, yeah. rather than extending too far. So more of a focus on core, uh, and actually more of a focus on what works well. So mm-hmm. in the last year, uh, we launched a range called Offspring, which is um, slightly lower price point, but has become the all-time best-selling range ever. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, then, so then you get line extensions mm-hmm. because, of, okay, Offspring was in silver. Let's do Offspring gold. Right. Gold doesn't sell well for me online, but I sell loads of silver online because it's cheaper. And then aimed at a younger demographic, yeah. like yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to adjust that for sarcasm. Yeah. Now, um, going back to the online, then, mm. you've been in post a year, mm. stabilised the platform, mm. now working globally. Um, what's your focus now? What's the next yeah. thing we'll yeah. be seeing online? Yeah, exactly, so,
1: so as we spoke about earlier, uh, there was a lot of stabilisation, shall we say, to begin with. And now there's um, kind of two or three areas of focus in the long term. There's definitely a focus on um, heavy focus on a
0: bit more commercial trading. I've been doing that. Oh, what does people... commercial trading mean? What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean uh, could... discount or promotion led, or or the opposite. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, trading
1: doesn't always mean discount. That's a thing that I'm trying to teach yeah. myself and others is, is you know, a good general commercial trading practice, because I think what happens maybe more so at um, more established brands. You can't just sit here in our ivory tower in Copenhagen and expect the world to flock to us and buy things. Yeah, we have to, we have to go out there and trade. Um, so that's a big focus. Another big focus is profitability. Yeah, oh, so we be, like that word. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I've done a lot of work in that in the last few months. I just literally, going back to the example of the big, the big candelabra versus the little ring, what channel do we trade in? What should our margin choice be? And you know, some logistics work as well. Um, the cost of returns, that's a big factor. The cost of shipping, its a big yeah. factor. When we're shipping from a warehouse in the north of Denmark to you in London, it's costing me $50 sometimes. You know, yeah. I can't pass that on to the customer because then I lose top line sales. So as long as if you can
0: have multiple warehouses due to yeah. the value and yeah, yeah. you don't want your stock spread all over the place. Yeah. And exactly, and so going back to,
1: so can we use the,
0: the, the
1: store inventory? Yes, we can. But again, more logistics and technical stuff. Yeah. But yeah, long-term focus is trading, profitability, and yeah, the, the right balance, shall I say, between promotion uh, and discount and, you know, good, solid, fixing the basics. We've just put in more payment options. We're just about putting more delivery options so you can get next day. We'll have delivery to pick up points soon, nice. hopefully. So a lot of still work on the mm. factors too.
0: And in case uh, people aren't sure about the distribution, although it's a Danish brand, uh, Visible, for example, a couple of stores in London mm. that, that I know of, and a few airports in New York we visited um, last January, in fact, uh, during our NRF store tour. Where is the bulk of the store estate? Interesting, yeah.
1: So interestingly, the bulk of the store estate is in APAC. So by- Why
0: is that? Is that uh, interesting product? Yeah, Uh, I mean, I I,
1: I think, so there were more stores in Europe and especially in Europe. and, And over the years, there's been open more stores, pull back from stores, open more cities, you know, as various owners and investors come along, the Mm. strategies change, right? And obviously we know when there's too much rent, (laughs) then (laughs) that's the first thing that kind of, um, that gets cut. But in APAC, the brand is very much more well-known than in the US. So yeah, it's developed more in APAC. In Australia, we have probably about 20 stores. In Japan, Mm -hmm. Taiwan. Yeah, in in Taiwan, the brand is really well-known. We launched e-commerce in Taiwan in January of this year, which is quite yeah. that was a good challenge.
0: And is that run locally or yes. do you run them from yeah.
1: here? Yeah, so we have all the challenges of Salesforce Commerce Cloud, let's build the Taiwanese site, okay? But then we have to have the local team to obviously run it, yeah, fulfill, yeah. fulfill the orders from that site and understand it. Yeah. You know, so we had a couple of guys from Copenhagen went over to Taipei
0: for a couple of weeks and taught them. Right. Great, yeah. So you've had most of your career in the UK so far. You're living in Copenhagen, running a global mm. team. My impression is as I walk around and meet your colleagues is just everybody's incredibly lovely and happy. Mm. So you know, don't burst that bubble. But you know, how are you finding just the human side of running these big teams yeah. across the world, different time zones, cultures, mm. selling approaches? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's always a
1: challenge, because um, there's, t- there's two levels there. That you've got your, your local team, the people around us, the people, you know, having lunch downstairs with, obviously from a different culture, Danish, very open, lovely, warm, chatting, um, good life-work balance. Yeah, yes. yeah so that, that, that <laughs> comes through. Um, the building may be very quiet after 3 p.m. in the afternoon, which is also a challenge sometimes, but that comes through. Uh, and But people here are very, uh, very collaborative, very open, very structured, in their work and that that kind of Scandinavian ethos to to work, Um, come across that. That's been interesting and good fun to work with. So you've got that going on, and then you've obviously got the challenges of working with the markets, where you will have even wider cultural and language barriers, as we we discussed a bit over lunch. Uh, And you have to find ways that work. Mm. You have to find ways and methods of communicating and agreeing so everything is simple and well understood.
0: Yeah. It's a motto for life. Look, you look like you're having fun. What's on your agenda for the rest of the year then? So if you're writing a postcard home, say Will will be mostly busy doing
1: what? Yeah, I will mostly be busy still doing profitability stuff. Um, We'll be delivering a lot of big development. We're actually redesigning the site. Mm. Mm, I might show you that later. I'll show you that later. So by the end of this year, you'll have... Better service levels from us. You'll have a nicely refreshed design that gets the brand across better. Yeah. Uh, that's
0: one of the things. Uh, and good, solid, profitable, yet competitive trading. Well, look, if you had to something yeah. uh, on a T-shirt, a large there T-shirt, uh, that would work really well. So I can tell people are so excited outside, they've been throwing things in bins. So <laughs> sorry about that banging. But um, I'm going to take you on the offer of a quick store tour. Yeah, let's go and have a look around. Great, thanks cool. Will. Cheers in. Wow. Thanks, Will, for those insights. Do have a look at the images of the silversmiths online. Uh, It really is incredible to see that level of craftsmanship stretching over 100 years. I was particularly taken by the library of photos of all of the people who've been named silversmith over the years. It was absolutely extraordinary. But from Will, uh, I hopped back onto the scooter and zipped down to the harbour and the new development of offices in Harvenholmen, in the southwest of the city. There I met with David Wormsley, their chief digital and omni-channel officer at Pandora, and of course well known uh, as a long-time leader in multi-channel retail. Uh, He's been at John Lewis, Dixon's, Marks & Spencer, House of Fraser. In fact, uh, David's held leadership roles in so many of the top UK companies. I was keen, therefore, to catch up with him uh, in his relatively new role to learn more about Pandora and uh, see what he's been up to. So let's head over now to David in the Pandora HQ. David, lovely seeing you. So, the um, last time we saw you, uh, I think you were on the cover of the magazine a while ago. Oh. So, lots <laughs> happened since then. Uh, so, let's put a, a name and a voice uh, to what I'm seeing. Tell us who
2: you are. Uh, so my name is David Wormsley, Ian Jindal, <laughs> and I am now in the role of Chief Digital and Omnichannel Officer at Pandora, the global jewellery company.
0: Great, so another chief role. Before we dive into Pandora, which is interesting of itself, you do have one of the more storied careers in multi-channel yeah. uh, since I think, more or less, the web was invented. So. John Lewis, M&S, House of Fraser yeah. as chief customer officer. Yes, yeah. So, you've should have done many, many things. Yes, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> and of course, you've written about those. So here we are in lovely Copenhagen, yeah. and you're at Pandora. Mm. So, in case there's anybody who doesn't have either a bracelet or has passed a, sh- a store, tell yeah. us about Pandora first off.
2: Well, I think uh, I'd say you know uh, when I was approached about Pandora, I joined the business for two reasons. One. Is actually the product because it's a beautiful product that people love and i just find it so important to really believe in what i'm selling mm-hmm. you know i tried selling electricals you know, a number of years ago and i
0: just find of course i about dixon's yeah,
2: toshiba you. laptop sh- chassis numbers very boring and <laughs> kilogram loads for washing machines you know, you've got to believe in your product and um you know, the product here is beautiful it's uh, just got an amazing story as well and the second reason was the global reach of the business you know that's a challenge that i've never really had before, you know, I've I've worked in UK companies selling abroad and attempting to sell mm. abroad, uh, but the global reach and the complexity and challenge and the opportunity of that is something that yeah. really appealed to me. If you don't know Pandora? It is actually the world's largest jewellery company. Uh, it's a very fragmented market. Um, we're, we're on turnover the largest jewellery company in the world. Um, it's I also m-
0: turnover of We're talking about
2: uh, in Danish krona, which I'm rapidly getting my head around. <laughs> uh, it's uh, around the 20 billion mark, uh, which is about two two and a half billion sterling.
0: Um, I think today's uh, exchange rate is quite a bit more than that. Oh right, so, okay. yeah, <laughs> I think I think you've just got up to about five billion.
2: Excellent. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, that's
0: that's the growth that you've delivered. It's just
2: role. <laughs> startling change already. Uh, but uh, the 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 product is amazing. The business started 37 years ago. Uh, Uh, Our amazing founders, uh, jewelry shop in Copenhagen, uh, importing uh, jewelry from Thailand, started making their own jewelry, invented the charm bracelet that Pandora's famous for and synonymous with about 15 years ago, and really went on this massive global expansion uh, and has become and still remains a global phenomenon. Mm. I think most people listening will, like you say, will either own or know someone who owns or have bought charms or bracelets for a loved yeah. one over the years. And it's just it's just a really fascinating business from that point of view. It's a really great product and, and a product that means so much to our audience as well. Mm. You know, people because don't... have
0: of bad moments. Well, yeah, it's... you're not buying
2: a charm of a, the Eiffel Tower because you like steel engineering. You're buying it because it means something incredibly important to you. Mm. Um, and that's what we sell. It's those kind of moments and memories to be slightly... Marketing, yes. marketing about. Uh, it, but, you know, I think it let really the
0: record show that there's a, a tear in your <laughs> eye as you speak. But uh, you mentioned Thailand, yes. and uh, this is the second time we've heard mm-hmm. this. Again, this isn't Thailand for you know, low labor yeah. costs. This is all around the silversmithing, the skills, and jewelry yeah. skills, yeah. isn't
2: yeah. it? Skills specialization. I mean, the like I said, our founder, when they started going to Thailand to uh, stop wholesaling, start making their own their own jewelry and they're sil- particularly the silversmithing, they just built up uh, a great workforce craftsmen. Um, you've got uh, multi-generational uh, families there now, sort of uh, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters. Uh, the facility- They're all
0: working for you on, on yeah,
2: the product. Yeah, and the specialization, you'd be amazed at, the, the hand craftsmanship that goes into the charms and bracelets, you know, I've seen them being made in front of me. And it, it is staggering, mm. the skill that goes into these things and the pride that the guys take in the product. And uh, we, you know, the, the Thailand uh, uh, factories, the, the, the jewelry factories, are, and they are um, state of the art and uh, really great working facilities and very supportive working facilities are, are something to behold. And actually, we, we need to do more, actually, to bring that to the fore, really, because we, you know, 90% of the silver is recycled. It's all, all solid silver. Um, the product is handcrafted, and we need to do, actually tell more of that story, yeah. I think,
0: I think in a mass audience. production age, we're used to seeing intricate things. You think, oh, there must be a mould for that. Yeah, or, yeah. you know, There's got to be a machine a row banging of factories, it out. Yeah, uh, yeah. robots. But, yeah. I mean, the, the intricate work is is just extraordinary. Yeah,
2: it is. And I think that's, you know, the guy, our customers who know know the brand really well understand that and know that. And I think, like I said, we've got more of a job to do, um, you know, particularly in the digital channels and through digital media and so on, just tell more of that story and um, and show, you know, the great heart at the, at the middle of the business.
0: Mm. So, most people will think, well, I get my head around a couple of charms or a couple of bracelets, how much do I spend on it? And then divide that into uh, 25 billion Danish kroner. (laughs) It's a lot of charms. That is a lot of charms. So, the global reach of the business, you mentioned uh, it briefly before. Mm. I mean, I've seen it in airports and in London and obviously in Copenhagen, but it's literally tentacles around the world.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've got, um, should know he's knows off by heart by now. Twelve weeks in, but you know, three. I think three thousand stores directly owned by us, franchise partners globally, and then uh, same number of concessions on top of that. Mm. Shopping shops, and uh, yeah, so that's a huge global reach. The business only started selling online very recently, four and a half years ago. Um, partly because the nature of the business was previously separate businesses globally. Yeah, each country was a separately incorporated business. A lot of it was through franchise, and the business has been bringing a lot of that back in house over the last few years. Um, so it has been quite, you know, sort of fragmented from where it's come from. So e-commerce is quite late in the day for, for Pandora. So we're very much kind of playing catch up on that kind of direct channel. But the business is genuinely global. You know, we're selling in I think uh, over seventy-five countries wow. uh, in one form or another.
0: And in terms then of your team as C D mm. O O, Chief Digital C D U C D U Chief Digital Omnichannel uh, and was the other on? one? Chief Digital Omnichannel Officer. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> I need to write this down. I can do three acronyms, three exactly. acronyms, no more. Yeah. So um, where, where's your team based then? Because you're UK based. Yeah. Uh, there's a very lovely headquarters that we're sitting in now in, mm. uh, in Copenhagen. Yeah.
2: Well, so yeah, I mean, my kind of official residence is, is, is the UK, as you say, but main development team is based in Baltimore on the East Coast in the US. Um, I've got a team of guys in China, because we, you know, China is, a uh, huge market for us, um, but obviously from a digital perspective, very different. So we've got an in-country team that we're building up uh, in Shanghai. We've got some developers uh, in Bulgaria uh, and then uh, a couple of architects and uh, some of the technology guys in Copenhagen. So, you know, just constantly flying mm. on a plane somewhere. But it's, I think the the challenge, I'm sure people listening will have the same experience. You know, it's about following the talent and about basing ourselves where the talent want to be. Mm. Um, and so we've got uh, a challenge to scale the digital team. You know, We need to really get our foot to the floor in terms of engineering and data um, to really build those capabilities out for the business. Uh, we've got some great partners, but we need to have the hybrid model of partners plus in-house. So, and we'll follow where the talent is. So we'll, we'll be reshaping where the digital teams are over the next year.
0: Cool, so you're um, a couple of months into the role, and it's, it's a very, Broad remit, so uh, I'm trying to remember all the bits. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. you know, the uh, the omnichannel, so in-store and back, yeah. know, the web, yeah. Um, CRM. Yeah.
2: yeah. What have I missed? Uh, developing the digital experience, the data and CRM piece is a fundamental glue. Again, as everyone listening will know, in terms of driving that customer experience, global uh, e-commerce. Uh, again, quite a fragmented set of teams. Lots of great talent in the business um, that we're harnessing and. Really just benchmarking across the globe, you know, oh, it's interesting. Australia seem to be uh, having this with their bounce rates and the US has got this with their bounce rate. You know, that's interesting, isn't it? So doing a lot of that benchmarking work across the econ piece at the moment to kind of just find the money on the table. You know, there's a lot of, lot of uh, opportunities. of is that because
0: that the circumstances in each market are so different or because... Uh, the teams are separate and therefore you need to build that best it's, practice. It's
2: it's a combination. There's there's the technical history in that uh, we're right we're a Salesforce house or Demandware or whatever we call it. But, uh, you know, we're, we're a Salesforce... Commerce th- Cloud. Commerce Cloud, that's it. I, 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 but we've got multiple instances running because the, the, they were developed as separate companies. And so a big challenge we've got is bringing that together into one code base. We're rolling out um, Sterling Order Management uh, which launched in the US uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's a very mm-hmm. rapid project. Uh, we've got a global rollout plan for that to put that omnichannel backbone in. Yeah. Um, get all the store stock data in there. Same playbook that um, you know we used at at uh, uh, another uh, major retailer I used to work at. You know, so getting that store stock data into Sterling would be a major enabler for the customer proposition. So there's a lot of work going on on the technology side, and that's you know to stop that kind of variation. You know, so it's like real granular stuff mm. in SEO about why, why is the uh, href set up like that on the blah blah site and it's not like that on the other site and what that possibly why organic traffic's going down on that site and so when we talk about benchmarking it's not kind of esoteric consulting it's literally that's different in that country to that and they're making more money so maybe we should, bring <laughs> should that copy that should copy that yeah. and again some really great as you'll find in any business you know where these kind of teams in little pockets around the world is some really great talent who are doing some yeah. really amazing things, but there was no real vehicle for sharing that. So a big part of what we're doing, under again, under the kind of very dull title of benchmarking is saying, hey, you know, so-and-so has done this amazing thing, and, you know, why don't we pick that up and do it in some of the other countries? So that's, that's where we're starting to get some traction.
0: And then on the CRM side, hmm. I'm getting excited just the thought of thinking that, you know, person A buys charm braces for event yeah. they must therefore want to add the extra kids other holidays romantic yeah, yeah. moments exactly. you know the CRM opportunities yeah. for a product that basically is like meth uh, <laughs> for for jewellery buyers it, must be you know incredible opportunity I
2: think the a really big moment for me was a few weeks ago uh, f- friends through school you know a couple that we know and um, uh, she had a Pandora bracelet on, and he was telling me the husband that um, well, I bought three charms for Christmas. I had to take two of them back because they didn't mean anything to my wife. Right, and so she refused to have the charms that didn't mean something to her, even though they were very pretty. Yeah, that's the hook. the The slight challenge, the mechanical challenge, we have is that sixty percent of our buyers are gifters. Yes, so hitting. They How do you have very capture the
0: gifting intention as well?
2: Well, that's one of the challenges we've got. You know, if it's a guy, it's probably a gifter. Yeah. You know, but I'm not. You know, but that's that's as far as we can go. So we, the you know,
0: Navy Seal Pandora range isn't quite ready to be released yet. <laughs> oh well, just wait.
2: You're watching. <laughs> but uh, you know, we, we've we're very clear on our core market, our core purpose. You know, the business has done a great job of uh, building out the broader jewelry range, you know, rings and necklaces and bracelets uh, over the last four or five years, but the core is the charm bracelet business. And like I said, from a CRM point of view, it's got huge potential, huge potential. the guys have been doing, I think, some great, great work in email and uh, doing some work in retargeting, Um, but we've got huge opportunities because Mm. it's a relationship-driven product. Of course.
0: I'm just thinking about some of the stores with which I'm familiar. They're not tiny stores and quite a lot of space for the product is nice, but I'm trying to work out how many SKUs you must be managing because, Every time I look, there's a new range out in different colourways. Yeah. So for, for a store, you know, how many products are they having to well, manage?
2: You know, it depends on the grade of the store. Of course. Yes, Merchandising. Yes. But no, I mean, we operate a couple of thousand SKUs typically um, globally and different stores have different sets of those. And There's some uh, local variation. We just launched our first uniquely Chinese collection uh, about six weeks ago the peach Blossom range for right. a festival in China, which is very successful so' it's a local variation but actually it 's a very condensed set of skews and again that's something's that's different for me from kind of big box department store retailing yes. where just hundreds of thousands of skews all the time you know so that 's quite nice it's quite condensed range and I think the opportunity for us in the digital space is doing a better job of of um, showing people how the bracelets go together, showing different looks, Mm. showing different combinations.
0: And what proportion of those would be continuity. So, you know, uh, I I can remember my grandmother was into the little charms she'd buy when she went uh, away somewhere. And so she'd be buying a range of charms over dozens of years. Uh, Do you have those continuity ones or is it like peach blossom? We do, we do. Now it's gone.
2: Well, there's a mixture. So we have the um, sort of campaign Ranges, you know, so it's, uh, whether it's a, uh, we've got a great collaboration with Disney, you know, so we just did the Dumbo range, which just went like, um, um to use a technical term, went like the clappers, you know, sort of <laughs> hugely popular, you know, so we have those kind of campaign driven ranges, and then we have core, they say core ranges, that are that are, actually we do actually reissue, so um, uh, we uh, will take, um, I think the Owl Charms, the one I've just seen um, today, which is the new version of the Owl, you know, mm-hmm. so like Great for students and yeah. so on. Owl 2.0. I think it's now on a book sort of thing. But yeah, <laughs> right. it's kind of it doesn't evolve, it doesn't change every year. You know, we're not like sort of reinventing the uh, the white t shirts every year like a lot of retailers <laughs> I could mention do. You know, um, but it's kind of, it's been about three or four over uh, over 15 years I think. Mm. So it's and that's for the for the people who know the ranges and the kind of collectors. That's actually quite interesting in seeing seeing the different different iterations. But there is definitely a core range, and uh, we've got amazing design team, and they genuinely. They blow me away with what they do, and they they've really been um, doing great work on kind of aesthetically pleasing charms. You know, fashion charms and nice. things you can wear just as costume jewelry and so on. But they the core business is is charms with meaning. You know, mm-hmm. the objects, characters,
0: charms know. with meaning. I like that phrase. Oh. <laughs> and tell me, you've uh, you know, trademarked it already. <laughs> so in these stores, which are you're know, very bright, very clean nice places to be, yeah. uh, you know, they really celebrate the product. What does Omni channel look like? So when you wave your mm. Omni wand over them, what, what's the customer going to notice?
2: The main piece uh, that we're focused on with the whole Omni heading, there's this two, I'll come on to the second one, but the main piece is um, supporting that shopping journey from the research into buying. Because we do, on the UK website today, we've got 600, 650 charms u s website nine hundred and fifty charms just as and when I was in process for this role, I did some mystery shopping and I, I was confused you know in terms of oh kind of how what goes with what which bracelet do I need to right. go with which charms and and the store guys were helpful, but they they were kind of well what did you look do you remember what you looked at on the, on the website not really well, maybe you could write down the numbers so we've got a lot of a lot of opportunities to join that together mm-hmm. into a, just a more Supported conversation and support our colleagues in store as well with with kind of tools that they're going to be able to use with with the customers Not kind of fancy screens, but real simple kind of selling tools simple CRM and so on So that's the big piece alongside that we've got a lot of work to do to catch up around click and collect and um, uh, Endless Isle and so Mm -hmm. on so we've actually launched our Just last month we launched Endless Isle in the States, which is uh, the first country We've got that running in Again, a rapid trial and a rapid uh, piece of work and more to follow on that omni-fulfillment piece. But the omni-shopping piece could yes. cause those two so things. So
0: make the promises, and then the next one is deliver on those
2: promises. Yeah, exactly, very much, very much.
0: Oh, interesting. So look, what what do what the next uh, few months going to store? So, you know, when you get off the plane, you think, oh, I'm really looking forward to dot, dot, dot. What What's the highlight coming for
2: you? I think uh, we've got a lot of work going on for the kind of core digital experience. You know, I don't think we can call them websites anymore, can we? But uh, I,
0: mean, I think because we're old,
2: we so can, we can get away yes. with it. Yeah, yeah. But the <laughs> the website, yes, um, screen based interfaces. You, I'm still staggering. You know, four out of five of our audience are mobile based. Um, you know, wow, but that's extraordinary. It really is. It really is quite staggering.
0: And buying, so eighty percent buying yeah.
2: or just browsing? Well, browsing and buying. It's wow. the same number. So so from that point of view, you know, I've banned kind of desktop screenshots. You know, kind of wow. And I'm trying, as ever, to try and rewire my brain around that. So the, the
0: uh, Sorry, forget the website let's yeah. talk about the <laughs> uh, this the
2: experience well yes yeah, so the, the experience we've got a lot of work going on around the experience to streamline that the the the, the website if your uh, listeners look at it today is, is it's a bit boxy quite white uh, quite, you know very transactionally focused you know which is no no bad thing we, mm-hmm. we you're know, very much in favor of selling things to people yeah. um, but it doesn't have that kind of warmth and feel that is really actually at the heart of the brand so um, working on the visuals and then streamlining the journey and trying to make the charm bracelet journey in particular more supportive. So kind of watch this space around some of the tools that we're going to be introducing in the autumn to make that a better experience. Great. Well, I'm
0: excited. So you were kind to say listeners. I think it is just one. So if our listener uh, could come up with a better word than website yes, for the thing you see on your mobile screens. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. there's probably a competition there. Maybe we should offer um, a bead. There might be a charm uh, in it. There's a you, charm. <laughs> so if you can come up with a new word that passes David's scrutiny, <laughs> then uh, you can pick that magic moment uh, charm for yourselves. David, thanks so much for welcoming us into this lovely office. Well,
2: thanks, good to be here.
0: So I'm still amazed at the sheer global scale of Pandora, uh, and I'm grateful to David for giving us this insight. It's interesting to see uh, across both Pandora and Georg Jensen the similar focus on product and craft, as well as the challenges of running a global operation. So thanks to them both, now we're back in London for the next episode, and we're also recording a couple of summer specials, a sort of book club if you will. So we'll be chatting with the authors of books on digital, multi-channel and strategy and giving you a chance to hear some backstory and also some behind the scenes. We've two episodes planned, one highly practical and the other focused on strategy. So please do drop me a note with any suggestions of books or authors you'd like us to cover, but we'll be dropping at least two episodes on you as you lie on the beach over the autumn break. And later in the year, we'll be visiting Paris, Berlin, Amsterdam and Cologne with our portable tape recording kit. And we'd love to visit you. So um, if you'd be open to chatting with us or having us visit your office, do let us know and we'd be very happy to oblige. But in the meantime, thanks again to Will and David for hosting us. And until our next episode, happy trading. Please
2: take all belongings with you.